Act Three of The Imaginary Invalid by Moliere. Translated by Charles Heron Wall. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Three, Scene One. Faraldi, Algon, Tonnette. Well, brother, what do you say to that? Isn't it as good as a dose of cassia? Oh, good cassia is a very good thing, sir. Now, shall we have a little chat together? Wait a moment, brother. I'll be back directly. Here, sir, you forget that you cannot get about without a stick. Oh, aye, uh, to be sure. Scene two. Borald, Tonnette. Pray, do not give up the interest of your niece. No, I shall do all in my power to forward her wishes. We must prevent this foolish marriage which he has got into his head from taking place. And I thought to myself that it would be a good thing to introduce a doctor here, having a full understanding of our wishes, to disgust him with this Mr. Pergan, and to abuse his mode of treating him. But as we have nobody to act that part for us, I have decided upon playing him a trick of my own. In what way? It is rather an absurd idea, and it may be more fortunate than good. But act your own part. Here is our man. Scene three. Argon Borade. Let me ask you, brother, above all things, not to excite yourself during our conversation. I agree. To answer without anger to anything I may mention. Very well and to reason together upon the business I want to discuss with you without any irritation. Dear me! Yes, what a preamble! How is it, brother, that with all the wealth you possess, and with only one daughter, for I do not count the little one, you speak of sending her to a convent? How is it, brother, that I am master of my family, and that I can do all I think fit? Your wife doesn't fail to advise you to get rid in that way of your two daughters, and I have no doubt that through a spirit of charity she would be charmed to see them both good nuns. Oh, I see. My poor wife again. It is she who does all the harm, and everybody is against her. Oh, no, brother, let us leave that alone. She is a woman with the best intentions in the world for the good of your family, and is free from all interested motives. She expresses for you the most extraordinary tenderness, and shows toward your children an inconceivable goodness. No, don't let us speak of her, but only of your daughter. What can be your reason for wishing to give her in marriage to the sort of a doctor? My reason is that I wish to have a son-in-law who will suit my wants. But it is not what your daughter requires and we have a more suitable match for her. Yes, but this one is more suitable for me. But does she marry a husband for herself or for you, brother? He must do both for her and for me, brother. And I wish to take into my family people of whom I have need. Uh, so that if your little girl were old enough, you would give her to an apothecary? Why not? Is it possible that you should always be so infatuated with your apothecaries and doctors and be so determined to be ill in spite of men and nature? What do you mean by that, brother? 
I mean, brother, that I know of no man less sick than you, and that I should be quite satisfied with a constitution no worse than yours. One great proof that you are well, and that you have a body perfectly well made, is that with all the pains you have taken you have failed as yet in injuring the soundness of your constitution, and that you have not died of all the medicine they have made you swallow. But are you aware, brother, that it is these medicines which keep me in good health? Mr. Pergon says that I should go off it if he were but three days without taking care of me. If you are not careful, he will take such care of you that he will soon send you into the next world. But let us reason together, brother. Don't you believe at all in medicine? No, brother, and I do not see that it is necessary for our salvation to believe in it. What? Do you not hold true a thing acknowledged by everybody and revered throughout all ages? Between ourselves, far from thinking it true, I look upon it as one of the greatest follies which exist among men. And to consider things from a philosophical point of view, I don't know of a more absurd piece of mummery, of anything more ridiculous than a man who takes upon himself to cure another man. Why will you not believe that a man can cure another? For the simple reason, brother, that the springs of our machines are mysteries about which men are as yet completely in the dark, and nature has put too thick a veil before our eyes for us to know anything about it. Then, according to you, the doctors know nothing at all. Oh, yes, brother. Most of them have some knowledge of the best classics, can talk fine Latin, can give a Greek name to every disease, can define and distinguish them. But as to curing these diseases, that's out of the question. Still, you must agree to this, that doctors know more than others. They know, brother, what I have told you, and that does not affect many cures. All the excellency of their art consists in pompous gibberish, in a specious babbling which gives you words instead of reasons and promises instead of results. Still, brother, there exist men as wise and clever as you, and we see that in cases of illness, every one has recourse to the doctor. It is a proof of human weakness, and not of the truth of their art. Still, doctors must believe in their art, since they make use of it for themselves. It is because some of them share the popular error by which they themselves profit, while others profit by it without sharing it. Your Mr. Burgon has no wish to deceive. He is a thorough doctor from head to foot, a man who believes in his rules more than in all the demonstrations of mathematics, and who would think it a crime to question them. He sees nothing obscure in physic, nothing doubtful, nothing difficult, and through an impetuous prepossession and obstinate confidence, a coarse common sense and reason, orders right and left purgatives and bleedings and hesitates at nothing. We must bear him no ill will for the harm he does us. It is with the best intentions in the world that he will send you into the next world, and in killing you he will do no more than he has done to his wife and children, and than he would do to himself if need be. It is because you have a spite against him. But let us come to the point. What is to be done when one is ill? Nothing, brother. Nothing? nothing. Only rest. 
Nature, when we leave her free, will herself gently recover from the disorder into which she has fallen. It is our anxiety, our impatience, which does the mischief, and most men die of their remedies and not of their diseases. Still, you must acknowledge, brother, that we can in certain things help nature. Alas, brother, these are pure fancies with which we deceive ourselves. At all times there have crept among men brilliant fancies in which we believe because they flatter us, and because it would be well if they were true. When a doctor speaks to us of assisting, succoring nature, of removing what is injurious to it, of giving it what it is defective in, of restoring it, and giving back to it the full exercise of its functions, when he speaks of purifying the blood, of refreshing the bowels and the brain, of correcting the spleen, of rebuilding the lungs, of renovating the liver, of fortifying the heart, of re-establishing and keeping up the natural heat, and of possessing secrets wherewith to lengthen life of many years. He repeats to you the romance of physic. But when you test the truth of what he has promised to you, you will find it all ends in nothing. It is like those beautiful dreams which only leave you in the morning the regret of having believed in them. Which means that all the knowledge of the world is contained in your brain, and that you think you know more than all the great doctors of our age put together. When you weigh words and actions, your great doctors are two different kinds of people. Listen to their talk. They are the cleverest people in the world. See them at work and they are the most ignorant. Heyday, you are a great doctor, I see, and I wish that some one of those gentlemen were here to take up your arguments and to check your babble. I do not take upon myself, brother, to fight against physic, and every one at their own risk and peril may believe what he likes. What I say is only between ourselves and I should have liked, in order to deliver you from the error into which you have fallen, and in order to amuse you, to take you to see some of Moliere's comedies on this subject. Oh, your Moliere is a fine, impertinent fellow with his comedies. I think it mightily pleasant of him to go and take off honest people like the doctors. It is not the doctors themselves that he takes off, but the absurdity of medicine. It becomes him well, truly, to control the faculty. He's a nice simpleton, and a nice impertinent fellow to laugh at consultations and prescriptions, to attack the body of physicians, and to bring on his stage such venerable people as those gentlemen. What would you have him bring there but the different professions of men? Princes and kings are brought there every day, and they are of as good a stock as your physicians. No, by all the devils. If I were a physician, I would be revenged of his impertinence. And when he falls ill, I would let him die without relief. In vain would he beg and pray. I would not prescribe for him the least little bleeding, the least little injection. And I would tell him, die, die like a dog. It will teach you to laugh at us, doctors. You are terribly angry with him. Yes, he is an ill-advised fellow, and if the doctors are wise, they will do what I say. He will be wiser than the doctors, for he will not go and ask their help. 
so much the worse for him if he has not recourse to their remedies he has his reasons for not wishing to have anything to do with them he is certain that only strong and robust constitutions can bear their remedies in addition to the illness and he has only just enough strength for his sickness what absurd reasons here brother don't speak to me any more about that man for it makes me savage and you will give me his complaint i will willingly cease brother and to change the subject allow me to tell you that because your daughter shows a slight repugnance to the match you propose it is no reason why you should shut her up in a convent in your choice of a son-in-law you should not blindly follow the anger which masters you you should in such a matter yield a little to the inclinations of a daughter since it is for all her life and the whole happiness of her married life depends on it scene four monsieur florent argon Borald. ah brother with your leave eh? what are you going to do oh, to take this little cloister it will soon be done are you joking can you not spend another moment without cloisters or physic put it off to another time and be quiet well, mr florent let it be for tonight or tomorrow morning what right have you to interfere how dare you oppose yourself to the prescription of the doctors and prevent the gentleman from taking my cloister you are a nice fellow to show such boldness go sir go it is easy to see that you are not accustomed to speak face to face with men you ought not thus to sneer at physic and make me lose my precious time i came here for a good prescription and will go and tell monsieur purgon that i have been prevented from executing his orders and that i have been stopped in the performance of my duty you'll see you'll see scene five argon Borald. brother you'll be the cause that some misfortune will happen here what a misfortune not to take a cloister prescribed by mr Purgon. once more brother is it possible that you can't be cured of this doctor disease and that you will thus bring yourself under their remedies ah brother you speak like a man who is quite well but if you were in my place you would soon change your way of speaking it is easy to speak against medicine when one is in perfect health but what disease do you suffer from you will drive me to desperation i should like you to have my disease and then we should see if you would prate as you do ah here is mr Purgon. scene six monsieur Purgon, argon borald tonnette I have just heard nice news downstairs. You laugh at my prescriptions and refuse to take the remedy which I ordered. But, sir, it is not. What daring boldness! What a strange revolt of a patient against his doctor! It is frightful. A cloister, which I have had the pleasure of composing myself. It was not I. Invented and made up according to all the rules of art. He was wrong and which was to work a marvellous effect on the intestines my brother to send it back with contempt it was he such conduct is monstrous so it is it is a fearful outrage against medicine he is the cause a crime of high treason against the faculty and one which cannot be too severely punished you are quite right i declare to you that i break off 
all intercourse with you. It is my brother. That I will have no more connection with you. You will do quite right. And to end all association with you, here is the deed of gift which I made to my nephew in favor of the marriage. He tears the document and throws the pieces about furiously. It is my brother who has done all the mischief. To despise my cloister. Let it be brought. I will take it directly. I would have cured you in a very short time. He doesn't deserve it. I was about to cleanse your body and to clear it of its bad humors. Ah, my brother. And it wanted only a dozen purgatives to cleanse it entirely. He's unworthy of your care. But since you would not be cured by me... It was not my fault. Since you have forsaken the obedience you owe to your doctor... It cries for vengeance. Since you have declared yourself a rebel against the remedies I had prescribed for you... No, no, certainly not. I must now tell you that I give you up to your bad constitution, to the intemperament of your intestines, to the corruption of your blood, to the acrimony of your bile, and to the feculence of your humors. It serves you right. Alas! And I will have you, before four days, in an incurable state. Ah! Mercy on me! You shall fall into bradypepsia. Mr. Purgon! From bradypepsia to dyspepsia. Mr. Purgon! From dyspepsia to apopepsy. Mr. Purgon! From apopepsy into lientery. Mr. Purgon! From lientery into dysentery. Mr. Purgon! From dysentery into dropsy. Mr. Purgon! And from dropsy to the deprivation of life into which your folly will bring you. Scene 7. Argon Morald. Ah, heaven! I am dead. Brother, you have undone me. Why? What is the matter? I am undone. I feel already that the faculty is avenging itself. Really, brother, you are crazy. And I would not for a great deal that you should be seen acting as you are doing. Shake yourself a little. I beg, recover yourself. And do not give way so much to your imagination. You hear, brother, with what strange diseases he has threatened me. What a foolish fellow you are. He says that I shall become incurable within four days. And what does it signify what he says? Is it an oracle that has spoken? To hear you, anyone would think that Mr. Purgon holds in his hands the thread of your life, and that he has supreme authority to prolong it or to cut it short at his will. Remember that the springs of your life are in yourself, and that all the wrath of Mr. Purgon can do as little towards making you die as his remedies can do to make you live. This is an opportunity, if you like to take it, of getting rid of your doctors, and if you are so constituted that you cannot do without them, it is easy for you, brother, to have another with whom you run less risk. Ah, brother! He knows all about my constitution and the way to treat me. I must acknowledge that you are greatly infatuated and that you look at things with uh, strange eyes. Scene 8. Argon, Tonette, Barad. There is a doctor here, sir, who desires to see you. What doctor? 
I'm a doctor of medicine. I ask you who he is. I don't know who he is, but he is as much like me as two peas, and if I was not sure that my mother was an honest woman, I should say that this is a little brother she has given me since my father's death. Scene 9. Argon Brade. You have served according to your wish. One doctor leaves you, another comes to replace him. I greatly fear that you will cause some misfortune. Oh, are you harping on that string again? Ah, I have on my mind all those diseases that I don't understand, those... Scene 10. Argon, Borald, Tonette, dressed as a doctor. Allow me, sir, to come and pay my respects to you, and to offer you my small services for all the bleedings and purging you may require. I am much obliged to you, sir. To Borald. Toinette herself, I declare... I beg you will excuse me one moment, sir. I forgot to give a small order to my servant. Scene 11. Argon Parade. Would you not say that this is really Toinette? It is true that the resemblance is uh, very striking, but it is not the first time that we have seen this kind of thing, and history is full of those freaks of nature. For my part, I am astonished and... Scene 12. Argon Parade. Tonette. What do you want, sir? What? Did you not call me? I? No. My ears must have tinkled then. Just stop here one moment and see how much that doctor is like you. Ah, yes indeed. I have plenty of time to waste. Besides, I have seen enough of him already. Scene 13. Argon Borald. Had I not seen them both together, I should have believed it was one and the same person. I have read wonderful stories about such resemblances, and we have seen some in our day that have taken in everybody. For my part, I should have been deceived this time, and sworn that the two were but one. Scene 14. Argon, Borralde, Tonette, as a doctor. Sir, I beg your pardon with all my heart. Oh, it is wonderful. You will not take amiss, I hope, the curiosity I feel to see such an illustrious patient, and your reputation, which reaches the farthest ends of the world, must be my excuse for the liberty I am taking. Sir, I am your servant. I see, sir, that you are looking earnestly at me. What age do you think I am? I should think twenty-six or twenty-seven, at the utmost. Ah, ah, ha, ha, ha. I am ninety years old. Ninety years old? Yes, this is what the secrets of my art have done for me to preserve me fresh and vigorous, as you see. Upon my word, a fine youthful old fellow of ninety. I am an itinerant doctor and go from town to town, from province to province, from kingdom to kingdom, to seek out illustrious material for my abilities, to find patients worthy of my attention, capable of exercising the great and noble secrets which I have discovered in medicine. I disdain to amuse myself with the small rubbish of common diseases, with the trifles of rheumatism, coughs, fevers, vapours, and headaches. I require diseases of importance, such as good non-intermittent fevers with delirium, good scarlet fevers, good plagues, good confirmed dropsies, good pleurisies with inflammations of the lungs. 
these are what i like what i triumph in and i wish sir that you had all those diseases combined that you had been given up despaired of by all the doctors and at the point of death so that i might have the pleasure of showing you the excellency of my remedies and the desire i have of doing you service i am greatly obliged to you sir for the kind intentions you have towards me let me feel your pulse come come beat properly please ah i will soon make you beat as you should this pulse is trifling with me i see that it does not know me yet who is your doctor a mr Pergon. that man is not noted in my books among the great doctors what does he say you are ill of he says it is the liver and others say it is the spleen they are a pack of ignorant blockheads you are suffering from the lungs the lungs yes what do you feel from time to time great pains in my head just so the lungs at times it seems as if i had a mist before my eyes the lungs i feel sick now and then the lungs and i feel sometimes a weariness in all my limbs the lungs and sometimes i have sharp pains in the stomach as if i had the colic the lungs do you eat your food with appetite yes sir the lungs do you like to drink a little wine yes sir the lungs you feel sleepy after your meals and willingly enjoy a nap yes sir the lungs the lungs i tell you what does your doctor order you for food he orders me soup ignoramus fowl ignoramus veal ignoramus broth ignoramus new laid eggs ignoramus and at night a few prunes to relax the bowels ignoramus and above all to drink my wine well diluted with water ignorantus ignoranta ignorantum you must drink your wine pure and to thicken your blood which is too thin you must eat good fat beef good fat pork good dutch cheese some gruel rice puddings chestnuts and thin cakes to make all adhere and conglutinate your doctor is an ass i will send you one of my own school and will come and examine you from time to time during my stay in this town you will oblige me greatly what the deuce do you want with this arm what if i were you i should have cut it off on the spot why don't you see that it attracts all the nourishment to itself and hinders this side from growing maybe but i have need of my arm you have also a right eye that i would have plucked out if i were in your place my right eye plucked out don't you see that it interferes with the other and robs it of its nourishment believe me have it plucked out as soon as possible you will see all the clearer with the left eye uh, there is no need to hurry good-bye i am sorry to leave you so soon but i must assist the grand consultation which is to take place about a man who died yesterday about a man who died yesterday yes that we may consider and see what ought to have been done to cure him good-bye you know that patients do not use ceremony scene fifteen Argon parade. Upon my word, this doctor seems to be a very clever man. Yes, but 
He goes a little too fast. All great doctors do so. Cut off my arm and pluck out my eye so that the other may be better? I had rather that it were not better. A nice operation indeed to make me at once one-eyed and one-armed. Scene 16. Algon, Vorald, Tanet. Pretending to speak to somebody. Come, come, I am your servant. I'm in no joking humor. What is the matter? Your doctor, forsooth, who wanted to feel my pulse. Just imagine, and that, too, at fourscore and ten years of age. Now I say, brother, since you have quarreled with Mr. Burgon, won't you give me leave to speak of the match which is proposed for my niece? No, brother, I will put her in a convent, since she has rebelled against me. I see plainly that there is some love business at the bottom of it all, and I have discovered a certain secret interview which they don't suspect me to know anything about. Well, brother, and suppose there were some little inclination, what could the harm be? Would it be so criminal when it all tends to what is honorable? Marriage? Be that as it may, she will be a nun. I have made up my mind. You intend to please somebody by so doing. I understand what you mean. You always come back to that. And my wife is very much in your way. Well, yes, brother, since I must speak out, it is your wife I mean. For I can no more bear with your infatuation about doctors than with your infatuation about your wife, and see you run headlong into every snare she lays for you. Ah, sir, don't talk so of mistress. She is a person against whom there is nothing to be said, a woman without deceit, and who loves master. Ah, who loves him. I can't express how much. To Berald. Just ask her all the caresses she lavishes for me. Yes, indeed. And all the uneasiness my sickness causes her. Certainly. And the care and trouble she takes about me. Quite right. To Berald. Will you let me convince you and to show you at once how my mistress loves my master? To Argon. Sir, allow me to undeceive him and to show him his mistake. How? My mistress will soon come back. Stretch yourself full length in this armchair and pretend to be dead. You will see what grief she will be in when I tell her the news. Very well. I consent. Yes, but don't leave her too long in despair, for she might die of it. Trust me for that. To Barald. Hide yourself in that corner. Scene 17. Argon, Tonette. Is there no danger in counterfeiting death? No, no. What danger can there be? Only stretch yourself there. It will be so pleasant to put your brother to confusion. Here is my mistress. Mind you keep still. Scene 18. Beline, Argon, stretched out in his chair. Tonette, pretending not to see Beline. Ah, heavens! Ah, what a misfortune! What a strange accident! What is the matter, Toinette? Ah, madame! What ails you? Your husband is dead. My husband is dead? Alas, yes, the poor soul is gone. Are you quite certain? Quite certain. Nobody knows of it yet. I was all alone here when it happened. He has just breathed his last in my arms. Here, just look at him, full length in his chair. Heaven be praised! 
I am delivered from a most grievous burden. How silly of you, Toinette, to be so afflicted at his death. Ah, madame, I thought I ought to cry. Pooh, it is not worth the trouble. What loss is it to anybody? And what good did he do in this world? A wretch, unpleasant to everybody, of nauseous, dirty habits, always a clister or a dose of physic in his body, always snivelling, coughing, spitting, a stupid, tedious, ill-natured fellow, who was for ever fatiguing people and scolding night and day at his maids and servants. An excellent funeral oration. Toinette, you must help me to carry out my design, and you may depend upon it that I will make it worth your while if you serve me. Since, by good luck, nobody is aware of his death, let us put him into his bed and keep the secret until I have done what I want. There are some papers and some money I must possess myself of. It is not right that I should have passed the best years of my life with him without any kind of advantage. Come along, Toinette. First of all, let us take all the keys. Getting up hastily. Softly. <gasps> so, my wife, it is thus you love me? Ah, the dead man is not dead. To Berlin, who goes away. I am very glad to see how you love me, and to have heard the noble panegyric you have made upon me. This is a good warning which will make me wise for the future, and prevent me from doing many things. Scene 19. Perald, coming out of the place where he was hiding. Algon, Tonette. Well, brother, you see... Now, really, I could never have believed such a thing. But I hear your daughter coming. Place yourself as you were just now, and let us see how she will receive the news. It is not a bad thing to try, and since you have begun, you will be able by this means to know the sentiments of your family towards you. Scene 20. Argon, Angelique, Tonette. Pretending not to see Angelique. Oh, heavens! What a sad accident! What an unhappy day! What ails you, Toinette, and why do you cry? Alas, I have such sad news for you. What is it? Your father is dead. My father is dead, Toinette? Yes, just look at him there. He died only a moment ago of a fainting fit that came over him. Oh, heavens! What a misfortune! What a cruel grief! Alas, why must I lose my father, the only being left me in the world? And why should I lose him, too, at a time when he was angry with me? What will become of me, unhappy girl that I am? What consolation can I find after so great a loss? Scene 21. Argon, Angelique, Cléante, Tonnette. What is the matter with you, dear Angelique? And what misfortune makes you weep? Alas, I weep for what was most dear and most precious to me. I weep for the death of my father. Oh, heaven! What a misfortune! What an unforeseen stroke of fortune! Alas! After I had asked your uncle to ask you in marriage, I was coming to see him, in order to try by my respect and entreaties to incline his heart to grant you to my wishes. Ah, Cléant, let us talk no more of this. Let us give up all hopes of marriage. Now my father is dead, I will have nothing to do with the world and will renounce it forever. Yes, my dear father. If I resisted your will, I will at least follow out one of your intentions. 
and will by that make amends for the sorrow I have caused you. Kneeling. Let me, father, make you this promise here, and kiss you as a proof of my repentance. Kissing Angelique. Ah, my daughter. Ah. Come, do not be afraid. I am not dead. Ah, you are my true flesh and blood and my real daughter. I am delighted to have discovered your good heart. Scene 22. Argon, Borald, Angelique, Cliant, Tonnette. Ah, what a delightful surprise! Father, since heaven has given you back to our love, let me here throw myself at your feet to implore one favor of you. If you do not approve of what my heart feels, if you refuse to give me Cléant for a husband, I conjure you at least not to force me to marry another. It is all I have to ask of you. Throwing himself at Argon's feet. Ah! Sir, allow your heart to be touched by her entreaties and by mine, and do not oppose our mutual love. Brother, how can you resist all this? Will you remain insensible before such affection? Well, let him become a doctor, and I will consent to the marriage. Yes, turn doctor, sir, and I will give you my daughter. Very willingly, sir, if it is all that is required to become your son-in-law. I, I will turn doctor, uh, apothecary also, if you like. It's not such a difficult thing, after all, and I would do much more to obtain from you the fair Angelique. Uh, but, brother, it just strikes me. Why don't you turn doctor yourself? It would be much more convenient to have all you want within yourself. Quite true. That is the very way to cure yourself. There is no disease bold enough to dare to attack the person of a doctor. I imagine, brother, that you are laughing at me. Can I study at my age? Study? <laughs> what need is there? You are clever enough for that. There are a great many who are not a bit more clever than you are. But one must be able to speak Latin well and know the different diseases and the remedies they require. When you put on the cap and gown of a doctor, all that will come of itself, and you will afterwards be much more clever than you care to be. What? We understand how to discourse upon diseases when we have that dress? Yes, you have only to hold forth when you have a cap and gown. Any stuff becomes learned and all rubbish good sense. Look you, sir, a beard is something in itself. A beard is half the doctor. Anyhow, I'm ready for everything. Shall we have the thing done immediately? How immediately? Yes, in your house. In my house? Yes, I know a body of physicians, friends of mine, who will come presently and will perform the ceremony in your hall. It will cost you nothing. But what can I say? What can I answer? You will be instructed in a few words, and they will give you in writing all you have to say. Go and dress yourself directly, and I will send for them. Very well. Let it be done. Scene 23. Braud, Angelique, Cliente. What is it you intend to do, and what do you mean by this body of physicians? What is it you are going to do? To amuse ourselves a little tonight. The players have made a doctor's admission the subject of an interlude with dances and music. <laughs> I want everyone to enjoy it, and my brother to act the principal part in it. But, uncle, it seems to me that you are making fun of my father. But, niece, it is not making too much fun of him to fall in with his fancies. 
we may each of us take part in it ourselves and thus perform the comedy for each other's amusement carnival time authorizes it let us go quickly and get everything ready do you consent to it yes since my uncle takes the lead end of act three end of the imaginary invalid by moliere translated by charles heron wall